Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. This week, we're actually we're starting a new series in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's like this big canon of theology written by, by the Apostle Paul. One of the key verses in this is found in Romans 1.16. And many of you may know it when it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? For salvation. See, the book of Romans is a book that tells us how we live out this life for God. It was a book that was written to the Romans, and Rome is actually very similar to the city that we are in, Seattle. And there's not time to go into that today, but if you're looking for a book that applies to a day and an age that we are in, it is the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible this morning, whether it's paper or it's digital, I invite you to pull it out. And let's turn together now to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, as we look at the heart of how we live this out for God. And one of the keys that we're going to look at today in living this life for God is finding peace with God. Finding peace with God. And we find that in Romans 5. You can follow along with me. I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And here's what it says. It says in Romans 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Shall we be saved by his life? As we begin this whole series talking about Romans, I think it's important for us to recognize that in this audience today, as well as any audience, as well as the audience that Paul was speaking to, there are actually two audiences here today. Did you know that? Two audiences when you're speaking to a group, especially about the things of God, there's, the, there's one group that feels that they're no good. You're no good, you're no good, you're no good. And then there's this other group that believes that they're too good, right? Mr. Big Stuff. Who do you think you are? These aren't theological songs you should dive into, by the way. But there are two groups, a group that believes they're no good and a group that believes they're too good. I'm not going to ask you to self-identify, but based on who you're speaking to them, for the group that feels that they're no good, you've got to try to give them hope and say, you can get out of that pit. 
You can be saved from that. There's so much guilt. There's so much condemnation that's been poured in. And so you're trying to speak them out and to say, you know what? God's calling you out of it. But then there's this other group that they almost believe that they're too good. And for them, you've got to focus on, you know what? There's sin. You're not all that you think you are. <laughs> and that can be tough. Have you ever found that in talking to somebody? Right? And it's very difficult because you're trying to bring both groups to the same place which is God. And this is what Paul is addressing today. He's addressing two audiences, just like in our lives, we're often addressing two audiences. But these audiences, they have the same problem as it relates to God. And I think even here in Seattle, we have the same problem as we talk about God that many people will talk about. And our problem that we have is the wrath of God. It's this wrath of God. See, wrath is a tough word. And it says here in verse 9 that we've been saved from the wrath of God. Because, see, these two audiences, they have different responses to the wrath of God. See, one group that thinks they're too good, they often get offended. Saved from the wrath of God? Why would God be angry at me? Have you ever felt that way? Maybe not. Maybe you're the group that feels like you're no good. (laughs) Right? But you get offended. Where other people, they get overwhelmed when they talk about the wrath of God because it's this overwhelming thing. You're like, yes, I deserve it. How It's overwhelming. It creates this crushing weight for them. But see, the wrath of God is surrounded by so much disagreement because it's a tough word that oftentimes churches, even they back away from it. They don't want to talk about it. And even today, you may be like, Pastor Dwayne, why are you talking about wrath of God after Easter, the resurrection? We're going to get to that because it is so important. Because we need to know that the wrath of God is important for us to deal with. Even in some churches, they've even omitted songs that deal with the wrath of God. Do you know that we sang a controversial song last week? One of my favorite modern hymns, In Christ Alone. How many of you love that song? In Christ Alone, my hope is found. Well, it has a line in there, till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That one line, the wrath of God is satisfied, has caused it to be removed from some of the modern hymnals today because of the theology that's wrapped around it. And some have even changed it. They tried to change it to the love of God was magnified instead of the wrath of God was satisfied. Lots around it because wrath is an uncomfortable word, right? You don't invite somebody to a coffee house and say, let's talk about wrath today. This is good. That's not how we operate. It's not how we go through Because, see, the wrath of God, I think especially for those of us who believe in God and we're trying to communicate to our friends about who God is, wrath of God is is, a tough conversation to start. We like words like, I'm a friend of God, right? Or God is love. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the shepherd. And these are true, but we need to not back away from this word. Because God also has wrath. But unfortunately, God's wrath has been mischaracterized and misunderstood. And as a result, we have this myth that I like to call the angry God myth, right? We have this angry God myth. And the angry God myth that goes something like this to where the angry God myth says that in the Old Testament, we have this angry God. He's always hurting people and killing people and all these things going on that we don't want to talk about. But then we get to the New Testament and we have this loving God. He's all about love. He sends Jesus to love us. And we have the two. So I'm going to focus on the New Testament and the love of God because, it's, because that's what it talks about. And the anger of God, we're just going to kind of forget that. And there are even pastors that have even pushed aside the Old Testament and said, we don't need to study it. We're not going to talk about it. It's not important. And they have this, this angry God, loving God, angry God, loving God. Who is God? And it's ridiculous 
Because God is both. And when you look at the Bible, both Testaments deal with wrath and both Testaments deal with love. Did you know that? So when you throw things out, you need to be very careful because all of God's word is true and it's for teaching us and showing us. See, wrath is in both Testaments. In the New Testament, one of the first things that Jesus talked about and that he referenced as he began his ministry here on earth when he was being baptized was the wrath of God when he was addressing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Matthew 3, 7, Jesus said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of to come. What a way to start your ministry. Right there, okay? See, the New Testament is very clear that those who do not profess faith in the risen Christ remain in their sins and they fall under the wrath of God. That's New Testament. Now, it has a lot of love in it as well, but sometimes we push that to the side, but it is there. But see, when we look at the Old Testament, we need to recognize that the Old Testament is filled with the love of God. See, it was in the Old Testament that we first learned about God's love. Back in Exodus 34, verse 6, this is God talking to Moses. It says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Everyone say love. Love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is an amazing verse. Songs have been written about this verse. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in his love. Now, does this verse sound familiar to you, to those of you that really know the New Testament? One of the greatest love verses is found in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says what? Love is patient and is kind. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And it is all anchored back in the Old Testament in who God is as he's revealed himself to us. See, we need to recognize that the Old Testament and the New Testament, they are connected. It is all God's word. If you throw away the Old Testament, you're throwing away the love of God. Do you believe me? (laughs) Read it and see it. The Old Testament, yes, wrath is there, but so is the love of God. In the New Testament, yes, love is there, but so is the wrath of God. So we need to understand it. And particularly in the Old Testament, we need to understand that the doctrine of wrath of God is also placed in balance with three other doctrines. It's in balance with the patience of God, the love of God, and his readiness to forgive. See, we need to first understand that God is patient. He is not quick to become angry. Point to somebody who's quick to become angry. No, I'm joking. That'll make them angry, okay? Because <laughs> they're quick to become angry. But there have been times in my life, I'll just use me as an example. Everyone point to me. All right? There have been times in my life I've been quick to be angry. I've been stressed out. You know, I've been under pressure. There have been things going on in my life. And sadly, there have been times that I've been quick to get angry, and I've had to go to the Lord in prayer, and I've had to ask a lot of forgiving. How many of you have associated with it? You've been quick to angry, and it seems like every moment you're saying, please forgive me. Right? That's not who God is. He's patient. He's long-suffering. And secondly, we, have, we know that God, he's full of love and full of compassion, that even when his children sin against him, he is like a father who is full of compassion and full of love and always faithful to forgive. This is the balance of wrath. The wrath is there, but it is long and patient. It is filled with love. It is filled with, with compassion. And thirdly, it is ready to forgive. 
God is always ready to forgive. We see this in the Old Testament, that those who sin against them, God is there ready to forgive. He is there. He is always there. And the psalmist in in, uh, Psalm 30 verse 5 writes that the pleasure of God's love is so much greater than his wrath. It says, for his anger is but for a moment, but his favor, the love of God, is for a lifetime. This is where God's trying to pull us into. This is where God is trying to lead us. And it's so important for us to have an accurate view about the wrath of God because I talk to so many people that they're far from God or they've been hurt by the church or for whatever reason they're distant and they come back to this angry God myth. So we need to know about it. And if you're here today and this is a struggle, I'm praying that you will see it and that you will know it today. Because see, when we look at the wrath of God, as we refix our lenses today and look into it, we need to understand that wrath, as it talks about it in the Bible, is legal in nature. It has this legal element to it, which means that it is protective. See, laws are made for our protection and the protection of others. How many when you drive down the street, you're like, thank God there are laws here, right? See, many laws that we have in our society today are in a reaction to something that happened. When you open up a policy manual, whether it's at a new job or wherever you go, and you start seeing all those policies and laws, those are there for a reason because something happened. Here are some laws that I didn't know existed. Maybe you know about them, okay? But because of an incident that happened in the state of Alabama, it is now explicitly illegal to drive while blindfolded. Somebody had to be told that, okay? In Glendale, California, okay? How many Californians we have here? Listen to this. In Glendale, California, it is now, because of something that happened, it is now illegal to jump from a car traveling 65 miles an hour. So I guess 64 is okay. I don't know, okay? And in Alaska, this may seem very straightforward. They had to make a law saying it is illegal to strap the dog to your roof of your car while you're traveling down the road. You got to love your dog, people. There's also this law in the state of Missouri that you cannot have an uncaged bear in the back of your truck. These all happen because of things, okay? America. (laughs) See, laws are there to protect us and others, but we know that laws are only good if they're enforced. I think that's why some of these laws were made, because they needed to find a way to enforce them. Because we know that an unenforced law has no protection. You remove the enforcement, you remove the protection of the law. We know that to be true, don't we? See, and as it relates to all of these laws, God is our judge. God is my judge because God is the only one who is qualified. He's the only one who knows everything, sees everything, and looks straight to the motive and the intent of the heart. And when we look at who God is, especially as it retains and relates to this word, we know that God is just. And justice that we all want, we all want justice, but justice requires judgment. And judgment is, can be a difficult word for us, and we struggle with it, but we all judge, don't we? You're all judging me right now. 
Some of you laughed at my joke, but not everybody laughed at my joke because you judged it to be stupid. We all judge. We all do it. We judge our food. We quietly have these little judgments, but all these things that happen to us. It is just a fact of life, but I'd rather be judged by God. I want my life to be in his hands. And when God is looking at us, what God is judging is he is judging our sin. Because sin is destructive. Sin is destructive, and it needs to be dealt with, and it must be confronted. And when God confronts sin, God is confronting it with his holiness. Everyone say holiness. Holiness, another big Christian word, okay? Holiness. God is confronting us with his holiness. And sometimes I believe that we are confused by God's wrath because we have such a lack of regard for the holiness of God. I know I have at times. We become confused because his holiness is confronting sin. The wrath of God is coming out and we're confused, but we don't understand the holiness of God. The late great A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, says it this way. Tozer says that since God's first concern for his universe is its moral health, that is, its holiness, whatever is contrary to this is necessarily under his eternal displeasure. To preserve his creation, God must destroy whatever would destroy it. See, the wrath of God is a function of God's holiness against sin. Where there is no sin, there's no wrath. Where there is sin, there is wrath because God is their protector. And anything that would destroy his creation, that's all of us. God is out to destroy the sin that would destroy us. See, I want you to hear me today. God is not this angry God. God is a holy and he's a loving God that he protects us and he confronts the things that are out to destroy us. He's a loving God. When you protect your children, when you protect a child, when you protect someone around you, that's not an act of anger. That's an act of love because you care for them. My mom had to do a lot of acts of love in my life growing up. Because there were things that I did that were destructive to me. And sometimes they were destructive to others around me. So my mom would move into a place of protection. As an immature child, sometimes I would see that as anger. But it was really love. It was love for me. It was love for those around us. See, this is why God sent Jesus. This is why we celebrate the resurrection last week. Because God is not angry at us. God loves us. And he's out to rescue us. See, resurrection is a rescue mission. It is out to deliver us and to free us. But the first step to being rescued is to recognizing that you need rescuing and that you are in need of being rescued and that you can be rescued. Have you ever tried to save somebody that didn't want to be rescued? I have. That's a dangerous place to be. Do you know that lifeguards are often drowned in the process of trying to save somebody who's drowning? Rescuing is very difficult. It can be very, very dangerous. See, when someone realizes that they're in need of rescuing, the mission is fairly straightforward. I need help. Please help me. You throw them a life preserver. You pull them out. You reach down. You give them what they need. But when they fail to see it, it becomes very, very dangerous. And they will even fight you at times. You experienced that before? You tried to help somebody and they're actually fighting you? See, this is why God reveals himself to us. 
to show us who we are and who he is, and yet God has a plan for us. And you know what his plan is? His plan is that we would have peace with God. This is what Paul is talking about today. See, there's a difference of having peace with God and having the peace of God. It's just a very small word, but it has so much difference in it. See, the peace of God is this overwhelming feeling that we have. It's this sense that we have that the peace of God, it calms us. It satisfies our heart in the midst of troubles and pressures. It's the peace of God is the peace with regard to the cares of this world. And it can often be very subjective. It's very feeling. But peace with God means that the state of hostilities between God and us is now over. So to quote Jesus Christ, it is finished. That's peace with God. Peace with God means that we've come to this place where we are at peace with him. We've been reconciled. This is what Paul is trying to get us to. And he's saying that peace with God, it comes through faith. It comes through faith. See, faith, it gives us access to the entrance. Faith is a conviction or a belief respecting our relationship to God. Faith as it relates to God means that we see God as the creator of everything. The creator of us. The one who sent his son Jesus to die for us. Faith in Jesus is a faith that recognizes that we need rescuing and now that through Jesus we can be reconciled to God. This is the entrance. Because see, through this faith, we are justified, which means to be made right, to be restored to our original intent. See, God is always trying to bring you back to the original design that he had for you. Every good maker does this. Anyone who has created something, I had a friend one time, he, uh, he was a home builder. How many home builders are handy people we have out there today? Okay, I'm not re- recruiting for a group. I'm just saying, you know, maybe this is you. I had a friend that, he, that this family hired him to build this amazing house. And money was no object. Money was no object. So they said, we want everything. We want marble in this place. We want the best wood. We want the best countertops. We want all the best stuff. It was in this really affluent neighborhood in Kansas City. And so he went in and he built this amazing place. The designers designed it. Everything went into it. And they built it. The family looked at it and said, we love this house. They poured so much into it. And so because of just his protocol is to go back a month after and go, hey, is everything okay? Anything need to be fixed? Everything okay? He went back a month later, and as he walked up to it, and the door opened, there was a smell coming out. And the family came out and said, hey, how's the place? He said, oh, we love it. Anything wrong with it? No, it's great. He's like, do you mind if I go through and I kind of just check it out? Because this, this was like one of my swan songs. This was amazing. He was getting ready to go off and, uh, and to go to graduate school later in his life. Walking through the house, all the woodwork was chewed up. All the marble was chipped. There was stuff everywhere. Because what happened, this family had a pet goat that loved to go through. Now, we're all animal lovers here, okay? But look, but the goat went through and chewed up all the wood. Probably the most expensive meal that goat ever had. Chipped all the marble and chipped everything. And he looked at it horrified going, this was not the original intent, and sometimes we do the same thing. God makes us, he creates us, but through sin, it's like we, we got a goat running through our house, chipping everything up and eating up everything that God made. And God said, I want to restore you. You weren't made for a goat to live inside of you. That'll preach. <laughs> See, this is what God does for us. 
Hadn't planned on saying that. Who knows? You don't know what's going to happen here. But this is what it's all about. God is returning us to the original intent. And he does it through grace. Now, we love grace. And when we think about grace, we need to be reminded that grace is about transformation. Grace transforms us, right? We don't abuse grace and say, look what I can do. Grace doesn't bring more goats into the place. Grace comes in and says, now, let's get this place cleaned up. Let's fix the woodwork. Let's restore this. Let's clean this up. Let's get it together. Let's be transformed. That's what grace is. It's evidence of grace. And it takes time. It takes time. But the evidence is there. See, God is out to make us not just experience his peace, but he wants to be at peace with us. This is what it's all about. And see, this is why we need to have this understanding of what wrath is. Because one of the biggest things that's going to be tested in your life is your peace. How many of you have already had your peace tested? <laughs> right? This is an aspect of what, when we walk with God and when we understand what God is doing in our, in, in our lives and how he's brought us to be at peace with him, that peace is going to be tested. And this is what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying in relation to this test, he's saying, we rejoice in our sufferings. Everyone go, woohoo! All the sufferers out there, here we go. Knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. It's a test. See, suffering, one of the biggest things that suffering does is it tests our view on the wrath of God and it tests our view on the peace of God. This is what testing means. When you look at the word of testing, it means to challenge the integrity of one's faith. When you test a vessel that's getting ready to go to the ocean, you test it before it goes out because you want to know, is this seaworthy? Is this going to stay together? Is it going to keep afloat? Right? The Titanic could have used a little more testing. God tests us to keep us safe. But that testing through suffering is vital. The great C.S. Lewis says it this way. C.S. Lewis says, Try to exclude the possibility of suffering, which the order of nature and the existence of free wills involve, and you will find that you have excluded life itself. Suffering is part of it. I got troubles. You got troubles. All God's people got troubles. Trouble. I'll stop singing. I'm sorry. Everything's a song to me, right? Paul, so here's Paul's point. Paul's point in this, he's saying, you all have it, but you need to recognize the test. And here's what you need to recognize. You need to recognize that suffering starts a chain reaction that leads to hope. This is what suffering does in your life. When we view suffering as a test and as a strengthening, as an opportunity for the power of God to rise up in our life, filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to find that suffering starts a chain reaction that leads us to hope. See, suffering, Paul says, it produces endurance. You know what, you know what endurance is? It's patience. It is patience. We need patience because patience is our challenge. See, when we have a lack of patience in our life, it makes us vulnerable and easily shaken and destroyed. How many times have you rushed things or you've tried to rush a a process through and you end up hurting yourself or somebody else or everybody involved? You ever done that? 
I've seen so many great leaders, so many godly leaders make the right choice and, and go and after the right thing, but their patience was gone and it ended up crushing. That's why God in his wrath is patient and long-suffering because he's doing it to be restorative. And so Paul is saying that when we suffer, it creates patience in our life. And that this patience, this endurance, this goes on, and then that next domino that it starts hitting is character. See, another word for character, when you look at the word study and you can look in your listening guide, I have the words in there, it actually means evidence. See, character is proof that something is genuine. When you walk up to somebody, to a man or a woman, and there's all this character in their life, you can feel it, can't you? There's something special about them. There's a character in their life. That's why it says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. It's that character building. That character building. But see, in order to have character, endurance, or that patience, it's needed. Because character takes a lot of time. See, we wish that we could have character like that. But it's actually a long road. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It takes a long time, just like everything else. It's practice, practice, and practice. There's no shortcut to character. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, count it all joy when you get into suffering. Because suffering produces endurance. And endurance, it produces that character, that proof. And character, it comes to hope, that confident expectation that we have. And one of my favorite words for hope is actually when we go back to the Hebrew word, which is kavah. And when, if, you, if you've listened to any of my previous sermons, this is one of my favorite words. Because when I studied this word, I found out that this Hebrew word kavah, it means to collect together, to bind together to a rope. This is hope. Hope is a rope. Because God, what God does in giving us hope, hope is not this ethereal thing that is just sitting out there. God is saying, I've woven this rope together for you. It's called hope. I've put my love in there. I've put my grace in there. I've put long suffering in there. I've put everything that you need in there. The word of God is in there. His kindness, his love, and his mercy. God's saying that in hope, I've given you something to hold on to. Hope is not ethereal. It is real. When you're holding on to hope, you're holding on to everything that God is. And how many of you need some hope in your life right now? Just lift your hand and say, God, I need some hope. I need to see that rope hanging in front of me. I need to see your love, your patience, your joy, all those things in front of me that God has woven together. And you may feel like you're hanging off a cliff, and God's got this hope rope that he's throwing over. He's saying, hang on, and look where I'm going to bring you. If you will lay hold to it. If when you're being suffered... That you will see that, God, you are with me. I'm going to count it all joy because you're leading me. See, suffering is the first domino, but it's not the last domino. The last domino is hope. And hope is what I need. It's what you need. It's what our city needs. We need this hope, and God has given it to us. And that's why we're tested. Because God's saying, I'm going to strengthen your rope. Every mountain climber knows this. No experienced mountain climber will ever go out to climb a mountain until they've tested that rope. Because they need to know that when they hold on to it, their life is depending on it. And it all comes back to the love of God. This is where God is leading us. He wants us to be at peace with him. Not just to experience his peace. He's saying, I'm pulling you deeper in. 
I want you to be at peace with me. So that when you're going through a hard time, I'm going to throw a rope to you. You're going to hold on and you're going to see my miracle being played out in your life. But it might be a long time. There might be a lot of dominoes. But God is leading you. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And if you're needing that hope of the Lord, I just invite you to close your eyes and just lift your hands to heaven or however high you feel like you can. But saying, God, I'm reaching for your rope today. I'm lifting my hands. Lord, I'm reaching to your rope of hope today. I need you, Jesus. I need that rope for me. Lord, I need that rope for my friends. I need that rope for my family. I need that rope for my coworker. I need that rope for the person I sit next to on the bus. The person I carpool with. I need that rope when I'm looking online trying to find that job. Lord, I need to see it. Wherever you are. And as we head into this response time, I don't want you to let go of that. I want you to take some time to respond. And listening, God, we have a lot of questions, and these are just a few of them, and these are just prompters. If there's another question that God's placed in your life, you write that down and you lean into that and you hold on to it, and don't you let go of it. God is out to strengthen you, and God is out to deepen and to bring you to peace with him. But as we respond to they just a few questions. Maybe you're stuck back on wrath and you're going, I'm still stuck on the wrath of God. Maybe you're feeling like it's undeserved or it's overwhelming you. Maybe you're not at peace with God. Ask yourself, how is my faith in God? Does it need to be strengthened? Is it weakened today? Maybe you're being tested today. Think about it. Where are you being tested? And how is God using this to strengthen you and to flow into your life? How are you responding to the suffering, to the testing? Whether it's in you or sometimes the, one of the most difficult things to experience is when you see others suffer and you're saying, God, what is with that? Where does your hope need to be strengthened today? And I want to invite all of our prayer team to go out. And I want to encourage you. Find that rope today. Go to one of our prayer team. Talk to them. Speak with them. Prayer is just talking. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm praying for hope today. I'm praying for peace with God today. We have communion that represents what Jesus did. And saying, every time you eat, remember what I did for you. Jesus suffered so we could have hope. (laughs) This is the domino that started it all. Go to the prayer wall, but let's respond. God is speaking to you today. Let's respond to his word, amen? Let's take some time to respond to the Lord today. Let's step on out.